Oh, and the other thing I've learned is I can't sit back in my chair because it does this. <laughs> and it turns out that you can hear that on the recording. So if I lean back when I'm speaking, very difficult to edit out. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 5 of the Oxthorpe podcast, a podcast about science fiction and SF fandom. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. And we have a letter of comment this week from Claire Briarly of Croydon. And one of the things she asks is, why do we always go John, Alison, Liz? Alison and Liz, do you want to reveal the secrets behind the curtain? It's because if we don't go John, Alison, Liz, then... Then Alison and I talk at exactly the same time. And every time we try and do it again, we again talk exactly the same time and dissolve in fits of giggles and John frowns ours. <laughs> and says we have to do it again. The beauty of having you record on separate tracks is actually that I can make it sound like you didn't talk at the same time. But yes, it does sound weird when you're listening to it live. Yeah, but Claire is very observant. And notice that we do this. But yes, that is indeed the reason. Claire also gave us some corrections. So she noted that we got the fan fund bounty stuff slightly wrong last week. I did put that in the show notes because I realised I had done it wrong while I was talking about it. But she noted that Fanac doesn't cover the guff trip reports and sci-fi still does and their five years run from the date of the trip rather than from the date of winning the fund so that's good news for Alison because the date of the trip may be five years after winning the fund (laughs) (laughs) indeed the other thing that Claire mentioned is that she very carefully stores all of her Hugo finalist pins together and knows precisely where they are which is extremely organized Alison, do you have any relevant anecdotes about Hugo Pins and the care thereof? Well, I was thinking about the care of Hugo Pins because I have a neighbour who makes giant public artworks out of little mosaic tiles and she normally generates these tiles in big community workshops and I've never quite managed to get to one of them. These are beautiful and I will put a link to them on the show notes and you can be amazed. They are exactly what public art should be like. And in lockdown, she worked. She started off being a bit depressed that she couldn't have these big community workshops. And then she realised that she could roll out a lot of tiny little mosaic tiles and put them in boxes wet for local families to pick up and then stamp out the tiles using tools they find around the house and then return them. And I, so I have stamped out a load of tiles with a load of things around the house that are important to me and to my family, including one of my Hugo pins. Clay is inert, it won't have done it any permanent damage, it does have quite a bit of clay on it now, but you know, I think that'll be okay. Not only do I not keep my Hugo pins carefully, but I did manage to find one, so I thought that was quite good, and I will brush the clay off it. But I also don't tend to look after them very well, for which I'm sorry, I know it's very important, and and I should be... I mean, I'm very grateful of the pin. And my other Hugo abuse anecdote is that, of course... The very first thing I did after winning Hugo, apart from brandishing it on a upper deck of a bus, was play ring toss with it. Did you get a bus tour of London when you won a Hugo? Like the cricket team? We got a bus tour of Glasgow, which is just as good. That is amazing. I didn't know that. We won the Hugos at the SECC. The party was somewhere else in Glasgow. Was it in the party hotel in Glasgow? It was in the party hotel. And so we 
got driven by double-decker bus. So the plucked cabal were on the top of the double-decker bus waving our Hugos around. And, and, and George R. R. Martin was there waving his Hugo around. And I asked him where the next book was coming out, which was probably very bad. And the next book did come out, but not the one after. So, you know, there we go. Um, and then we went to the Hugo party and, and it, was, it was full of authors and, and kind of a bit dreary. And so we came back to the fan lounge in the motel next to the SECC, which is really where we should have been all along. But we wouldn't have wanted to miss out on riding around on the top of the bus. Obviously, the population of Glasgow came out and threw ticker tape at us. <laughs> no, they did not. But we imagined it. Fair enough. It was one of the best nights of my life, I have to say. I, I strongly recommend Winnie Hugo's. I think I also played Ring Toss at the 2005 Worldcon. I think I was standing kind of on the balcony around the lobby of the party hotel in Glasgow, whose name I have forgotten, with a bunch of, I think they were like glow sticks and trying to throw them at people down in the lobby. Didn't do that for very long, though. I mean, I think the glow sticks rings a bell because I was like, well, what will we be using for the rings? And I think it was, in fact, glow sticks. So I think we must have had those little glow sticks that you clip together and push out. Somebody, somebody who's a proper fan historian is going to remember this in some detail and, and write to us. I suspect it will be one Claire Brawley of Croydon. <laughs> Before we end that anecdote, I should say I was throwing the glow ring at someone who was expecting me to throw the glow ring at them, not at like completely random people standing in the hotel lobby, which would not be correct. <laughs> That's fair. Um, the other thing I remember from that night is that Cory Doctorow was like, Oh my God, can I hold your Hugo? So that tells you approximately how old this anecdote is. <laughs> the Hugo is just a physical representation of things that, that actually matters, which is the acclamation of your friends and peers. And What we're interested in is validation emotionally. We're not interested in physical artifacts on Otterthorpe. We are interested in emotional well-being. So do tell us how marvellous the podcast is, because we, we really care about that. Please. Please tell us how great we are. I will know also that I am highly materialistic, so I do achieve my emotional well-being by acquiring more things. So that is a whole conflict of interest. We should talk about Conzealand, because since we last discussed Conzealand in any great detail, they have announced what it is they're doing for Worldcon during the pandemic. So they have a streaming partner, which is the... And this is a URL, this isn't a band name which is watch.thefantasy.network, end of URL. And they have a new pricing structure, which is £150 or thereabouts for an attending membership. So approximately 200 US dollars. How do we feel about the fact that the Conzealand attending membership is roughly the same as the Discon 3 attending membership, given the fact that one of those is not happening in the real world, but in cyberspace? I don't think that's a fair comparison because the Con Zealand attending membership is the actual front up, right up to the convention attending membership, whereas the Discon 3 one is the is going to be a lot lower than the Discon 3 membership will be this time next year. So you're not quite comparing like to like, but it is certainly it is certainly not cheap. And when I talked last time about my experience of EasterCon being that I didn't go to any programming and then partied with my friends every night. So it was almost exactly the same as a real EasterCon. And I drank too much ale. So it was exactly the same as a real EasterCon, apart from the fact that I woke up, you know, in my own bed at home and didn't have to, to manage hotels and things. But also nobody cooked me enormous breakfasts, which was a bit of a shame. I do wonder that for people like me who habitually don't attend a lot of the programme, 
what the I mean I I am Con Zealand accompanying my membership as the Guff delegate and I am extremely grateful to them thank you very much that is very kind of them and I will come along and of course I'll be on program and I will do programmy things during the program time um, we're going to talk a bit about Guff later but for people who aren't me but who are kind of party type fans I do slightly wonder if the primary benefit of a Worldcon for you is the socialization structure what it is that you get for your attending membership so they they do say that as part of their collaboration with the fancy network that they're going to try and have some you know as well as the panels and video they will also have like networking and late night hanging out and informal hangouts as well which i think they're right that is like a key a key part of the Worldcon. you can't just put on some streams of panels and replicate the Worldcon experience you have to include some ways for people to hang out and network I think I'm quite pleased to see that they've got this partnership going because it sounds like they've got some people who are really experienced at doing sort of video on demand. And so it will be, I presume, all quite nicely done. There won't be a lot of this. Hello, are we all on Zoom? Can you hear me? Oh, you're on mute. Please unmute yourself. It will presumably work nicely, which I think is something worth paying for. And maybe they have a really good way that they do sort of informal hanging out and social spaces with their current membership. But I do think that £150 is probably more than I want to pay for that experience. That's fair. I think it must be very tricky if you're the Zealand committee, because I imagine that £150 is how much they need to charge to make this work. And that is a tricky thing to get past if you can't sell people on the value. Obviously, they haven't announced what they're doing in terms of the programming or any details about the social spaces last episode or perhaps the episode before we were talking about how much you could attend in terms of program in a day i think liz had been on a training course and found it quite exhausting to do eight hours of, of content in a single day virtually so i'll ask liz first how do you think you can do program in a world con over five days in a way that won't be exhausting in a similar way well i, I guess the question is what do people normally do at Worldcon? Because I think most people do not go and do eight hours of programme on a regular Worldcon day. And I think it'll be much the same as I would do at a Worldcon, which is you might pop into one panel or two panels that you really want to see, and then you'll go and have lunch, and then maybe you'll intend to go to a panel, but you'll end up hanging out in the bar instead. And so actually you'll go to maybe three or four panels or items and spend the rest of the time chatting to people. I think there are a lot of people who do go to conventions and spend a lot of time in the programme, literally eight hours, especially when they first get into fandom and do that gosh, wow, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy thing. I think the fir your first few conventions, you do, in fact, hit panels continuously. I mean, I still talk to people who have been around a, a few years who sit there checking off things on a programme book and going, well, I want to see all these things. And I think even more than usual, when the Worldcom programme book comes out and people see what's there, I think you're going to get a lot of people wanting to go to a very large number of sessions. And I think at that point, they'll get a a, a flush of people joining as they realise that, that they can actually see some very exciting people in environments where they wouldn't necessarily otherwise see them. There are other organisations that already have virtual events of this kind that are very successful. A lot of gaming and esports things do do virtual conventions. And have virtual access and they they charge quite a lot of money for it and people are very happy because they're not incurring the costs of um a hotel and all your meals and your travel so you get all of that experience of hearing your favorite authors talking to each other 
but without the any of the on costs. And I think for for a lot of people that is quite a good value proposition and it will be fine. And they will have marvellous program and people will be amazed by that. That's that's my my gut feeling of that. I don't know what they're actually planning to do. I mean the other part is that I would usually spend some of that time hanging out in the dealer's room looking at things I can't afford to buy, but I can replicate that online. One thing they are actually planning to do is have a virtual dealer's room. Um and I know this because I'm doing a little bit of the playtesting on being a virtual dealer, which is coming up. The other thing that Liz mentioned is the idea that you would go to a panel and then end up talking to friends in the bar. How do you replicate the experience of doing that in a virtual convention? Do either of you have any ideas? I assume they have to try and replicate it, but... I have an idea based on Anna Raftery's trip report sessions, which you can come and see, where we have been running the trip report sessions in Zoom and then having a bar session afterwards. What you could do for the Worldcon, and I don't know whether they've got this planned, but I am offering it to them as a suggestion, is after each event, you could then have a break into the bar that then breaks into smaller groups so that people can have sensible conversations. And you could just make that part of what you do for every single item, because that's how real conventions work. People have an item and then they go off and chat about it in the bar with their mates or people they haven't met yet. So I was looking a bit more at the Fancy Network team who will be assisting, I think, or running or whatever with Zealand. And they have things like they have a Discord channel. They do stuff over Twitch where there will be, you know, you can watch the chat and watch the item at the same time. So I think it won't just be we all sit and watch a Zoom it might be sort of interactive and we are chatting at the same time and then we can go on Discord and form a channel to chat about whatever subject we want to later on. You know, you could even have Discord channels which are going to be, okay, so this is Alison's party room uh, and everyone who wants a party with Alison and her friends this evening can go in Alison's party room. I mean, there will be some issues because normally this is not kind of completely open to everyone. You know, sometimes you go and sit in the bar and have a conversation with friends and that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone in the convention is going to walk up and join that conversation with you and your friends. And so I don't know quite how you manage those sort of social spaces which are not kind of public to everyone, but people can kind of wander in and out. But it does seem like they've got a good handle on the sort of tools that might help them do that. Because I think Alison's right that the Anna model will work very well, kind of letting people break into social groups after panels. My concern, I think, is firstly, that means you have to go to panels in order to enjoy the social space, which is a slight change from how conventions are normally structured. And secondly, I think that it does mean that there's no equivalent to wandering through the bar and spotting someone you want to talk to, if that makes sense. If you don't see someone in the same panels as you, you're not going to bump into them. For the virtual first Thursday meetings I've done, I've experimented, or I am experimenting, with streaming the list of who is in the bar to Twitch so that when people come into the room, they can go, who's in the bar already? Oh, there's these tables and they've got these people at them. Now, if you, you can't do that for a Worldcon. I mean, you could do it to some extent, but you can't really do it for a Worldcon because we have a load of people at Worldcons who, if you did that, they would kind of do the virtual equivalent of t- turning their badge around. You know, they, they don't want random fans to be able to come up and talk to them quite all the time or, or much of the time because they would be mobbed. And at that point, you could have people say, oh, and if you don't want to be on the list of who's in the bar so people can't see that you're there, let me know and I'll make sure your name's not on that list. 
So so we've got some scope for, but it's still a very blunt hammer compared with the joy of being able to go through a bar and see people you want to talk to. But it's 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 quite a refined hammer compared with the not joy of being able to go through a bar and discovering there's 200 people in it and not being able to see the people you want to talk to because it's too crowded. And I don't know if this is secret, but one of the people I've been taught, because I went to a very big meeting on this exact subject yesterday with with smoths. So just to note that the British term for smoths is con runners, which is an unimaginative but descriptive word. One of the things I did discuss is I spent some time talking to Stephen Silver about the plans that he's got for running social spaces at the Nebula weekend. And I think we should very much watch that and see how that that works, because I think that'll be a very interesting lesson for the community about what works. I will say that the Nebula conference apparently is $150. So maybe £150 is the right price point for these things. Maybe that's just how much it costs. I didn't realise that. I'm still excited about Colzealand. I think we're at that difficult point where we know that it's going to be strange, but we don't know all the ways it's going to be good yet. If you were already planning to go to Con Zealand, this will, instead of looking like a very expensive thing to those of us who weren't planning to go, will look like a bargain way of being able to maintain your plans in light of everything that's happening. I, I think there are also a lot of Americans who always go to the Worldcon, but could not manage the cost for Con Zealand, particularly having been to Ireland last year. And those people will now, for $200, be able to get as much of their Worldcon experience as is available this year. Yes. My last thoughts on pricing are, one, that we don't know how much money Con Zealand basically has already spent and cannot recoup. So we don't know how much of the money they've already taken in is is basically lost on preparation and payments for the physical spaces that they then can't use. I will say the the other point, though, is that a virtual world con could be a really good opportunity to bring in new members who actually never get to go to a world con in person because they live in places where there are never world cons and maybe giving them the virtual experience they might then consider coming to a world con because they've managed to get a taste of the experience and enjoyed it. But I think £150 is going to be too much for the people who might join on a whim. So I wonder if they might consider having a sort of first world con membership for this streaming membership. That touches on something that you mentioned in a previous episode, which was you pointed out when I was talking about professional conferences that virtually attending a professional conference is a very good way of lowering barriers to entry to less wealthy people generally. And I think that is actually a really good thing to bear in mind is that this could be a huge leveller and that as three relatively wealthy middle-class white British people, we perhaps are not the people who can't go to Worldcon because of various circumstances. I don't want to go into massive details about my finances but if i decide to go to a world con i can save up and i can go to a world con that's fine but there are so many people for whom that is a statement that sounds insane but i sometimes forget parts of my privilege and i am always very grateful when other people remind me of those parts before i make a giant fool of myself i i think i'm something like in the 95th percentile on world income scales or maybe a bit higher and i could not possibly have imagined ever going to the new zealand world con on my own dime so you know yes we could we could theoretically save up and do it but you know not not add eat <laughs> so i considered it but i am you know basically halfway there already 
And that's the way it would be feasible. So for me, it's like considering a trip to Europe, except a bit more expensive because New Zealand is harder to get to, but that kind of thing. I am in a similar situation where the reason I did not want to go to New Zealand was because I couldn't afford it. But part of that was because I was planning to go to Disney World. So it's not really a sob story in any meaningful sense. Except that you didn't get to go to Disney World either. No, this is, uh, this is, now that is a sob story. I'm not going to get my lightsaber, Alison. My lightsaber. I knew which lightsaber I was getting. Because if you play, sorry, huge digression. If you play um, Jedi Fallen Order, they used the same lightsaber parts as you get in Galaxy Edge. So I had built the lightsaber I was going to buy in Galaxy's Edge in Fallen Order. And I knew which crystals I was going to have. And I was so excited. And now, yeah. John, there is a potential silver lining to this which is that I'm also not going to Disney World this year. So maybe we could go to Disney World at some point in the future at the same time. The listeners cannot see the excited hand motions I am making, but you can so you know how excited I am. So the last thing I want to ask you about New Zealand is, as far as I know, ConZealand haven't yet announced what time zone they're planning to run their program in. We've speculated previously that they would probably pick a time zone that would favour New Zealanders and US fans, but... Do either of you have any thoughts about what makes sense in that regard? And have any of you heard anything about what they might be planning to do? I have not heard anything about what they might be planning to do. I think it makes sense to prioritise New Zealanders first and then what time zone will allow the maximum number of your members to attend. I'm resigned to this as it means I would probably be able to attend like really weirdly timed things like possibly parties at 7am my time and the Hugos at lunchtime or something like that. But that's just going to happen. My understanding is that we should be getting an announcement on this quite soon. There's been obviously, as you can imagine, quite a lot of thinking and working around the issue, but I, I understand that that's coming to a conclusion and you should expect it to be resolved and they're going to try and make a decision that works the best for Zealand and for their members. So I think we're still expecting a lot of announcements for New Zealand and there's a lot of work going on to work out exactly what these will be. But I think, you know, things are happening and I think fairly soon the white smoke will go up. Uh, you expect the what to go up? We're electing a new Pope of all welcomes. Yay! Space Pope. I, I, my, I, I vote for Vince Doherty. Vince would pull off the robes. But I mean, we're obviously not Wilcon chairs because, you know... There are some things that you don't do if you've got any sense at all. Because you and Liz haven't had time to do that yet, and I'm not stupid enough. No, 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 seriously, I was about to say, you and, you and Liz probably still have that as a plan, but I'm not stupid enough. Imagine a world con chaired by me and John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining it so um, hard, Liz. <laughs> I will not even imagine it. I will give you £10 to pre-support it right now. Oh, man. All you need to do is pick a year. Uh, I'm going to go for uh, 2150 um, on the basis that if I am still alive, I'll presumably be wise enough to do it by then. You'll be in a vat. Uh, Liz ever going to chair a world com? No. <laughs> she did not deny as fast as either of, the, of, of us did. I thought that there might be, like, I can see coming back to this in like 25 years or something when I do chair a world con and someone digs this soundbite and goes, ha ha. So I thought, should I hedge a bit? But then I'm like, no, I'm not going to chair a world con. I'm going to say no. That is no I would strongly recommend not bothering about that because if you did chair a world con, you go, yeah, well, people change. And, and if you don't deny it very firmly all the time, then you will find yourself chairing a world con. That is how it works. I think we are fine and actually we have sufficient people who want to chair Worldcons right now. And I also think chairing a Worldcon 
is maybe a full-time job at this point and I already have a full-time job and of course my part-time podcasting hobby. That's exactly it. We do have a surfeit of people who want to chair a Wilcon and rather too few who want to do all the work. Yes, I'd love to chair a Wilcon if someone else would do all the work. <laughs> you heard it here first. On the subject of uh, time zones, Alison, you have an itinerary for your guff trip. Do you want to talk to us about that? I do. I I was originally planning to not fly directly. I'm going to do the entire experience virtually. And I think I might have trailed this last time, but I hadn't really set any of it up when we were talking before. So now I have a Facebook group. Um, it's called something like Alison Scott's Virtual Guff Trip. That will probably find it for you, um, where you, if you are interested, you can join and help me plan it. If you're not on Facebook, then get in touch and I will send you the stuff. And you could also give me your thoughts. I'm particularly interested in people in Australia and New Zealand. I am planning to do stopovers. I was originally only going to do one on the way back because my my logic was that I would be flying non I would be not flying non stop from Heathrow to Perth, as that is now not possible. But if it were possible, that would be how I would be flying. But now the west coast of the US people have said, Well, why can't you do a stopover on the west coast of the US? And I'm I'm hoping to organise a stopover in the other direction in either Shanghai or Japan. So it's practically around the world tour at this point. Thailand. Stop in Thailand. You very rarely get to speak to Liz. <laughs> it had not occurred to me to stop in Thailand and I'd like to say well Pete Young is also in Thailand but of course Pete Young is actually holed up in Stoke so not in Thailand at all how hot is it where you are Liz uh it's been in the high 30s yes okay so that's that's one of the nice things about going on a virtual guff trip is that it will not be um that hot the other nice thing is that because it's going to be summer in the UK and winter in New Zealand New Zealand's 11 hours ahead of us rather than 13 hours ahead of us which I think will be quite a bit worse in terms of managing it I, but I am going to go on to Australia first Australian time and then New Zealand time for three weeks I'm going to get one of the other sort of face masks the one you wear on a plane that covers your eyes so that you can sleep in your very light bedroom in the middle of the day and go on to the night shift for three weeks and hopefully meet lots of Australian fans I'm planning I'm definitely I've definitely got plans for Perth Melbourne, Canberra, Sydney, Adelaide, Hobart, Wellington in already. So I'm definitely going to go to lots of bits of Australia virtually and see their local attractions virtually. And hopefully I asked for ideas for cooking the local food and everyone comes back with junk food. I think the only actual plausible recipe that's not, you know, either this is an interesting sort of biscuit that you can probably get hold of or roast kangaroo is chicken parmigiana which apparently is a is a is an australian speciality so i will have some of that but in the in the near future i'm going to have the middlesbrough equivalent of chicken parmigiana which is called a parmo and it's where you get some chicken you flatten it you breadcrumb it you whack some bechamel sauce and some cheddar on it and then you put toppings on it like it's a pizza and it comes in a giant box and that is the Middlesbrough equivalent of the Australian delicacy you have just outlined. And there is a place that delivers them now in Southampton. So, yes. But if you've got anywhere in London that does Parmos, you might be able to get a sort of British take on it delivered. Authentic one. Yeah, that sounds really good. I mean, because delivery food is definitely an option here. And, and in general, like, getting Australian wine and beer delivered seems like part of the plan as well. 
So, so it's coming along nicely. And I have quite a lot of, you know, people are coming up with some quite nice things. There's some questions about how we're going to get some famously reclusive Australian fans to try Zoom and, or, or Discord or some other video conferencing solution of their choice. But it's quite interesting because it turns out that my, my trip, it's, I did th- I'm doing three weeks plus travel. It's quite full, even despite the fact that I'm not going anywhere. And it really brings home how difficult it must be to plan a fan fun trip and and not die in the attempt. <laughs> no, it is. It's. Um, I remember planning my fan fun trip. I did it when I was in my final year of my undergrad degree. And I did it very much as an undergraduate, as I mentioned on Anna's trip report. But I think my entire month long trip clocked in at something like £1,200. I'm going to spend more than that. Yeah, I should have spent more than that. I was going to say, I might spend more than that. Even virtually. <laughs> no, I did it really. I took the absolute cheapest flights I possibly could at every juncture, and I was bewilderingly frugal. We should bully Liz into running for guff. Liz, run for guff. Come to England from Thailand. Is that a good guff trip? <laughs> I do not think Thailand falls under the remit of guff, John. <laughs> I'm not sure if I need to send you a map with some scribbles on it to explain where countries are, but it is not, in fact, in Australia or New Zealand. So I'm torn here because obviously I could just look at a map, but equally the notion of receiving mail from Thailand <laughs> that is just Liz annotating maps of the world being like Australia, arrow, <laughs> not Australia, arrow, that would be... I would not say no, Liz. That would that would make my friggin' year. <laughs> Liz... Liz, are you nearer or further from here than you are from Australia? I am closer to Australia, I believe. I'm about the same distance between the UK and New Zealand. I'm not entirely sure on that. Yeah, so only really halfway. Yeah, I am really sort of halfway. I did look up how long it would take me, you know, to go to New Zealand for... The World Con, thinking, oh, I must be like most of the way there. No, it's still a very long trip. So, so I don't want to be too dramatic about fan funds. People can run for fan funds if they think they should run for a fan fund. But I do think there's something nice about having fan fund delegates who have not otherwise visited the place or maybe visited the place once a very long time ago for a short while and are now getting to do something that without the fan funds would not be a practical journey for them. I don't want to say it's a requirement or anything like that because it clearly isn't and 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 shouldn't be. But I, it's it's one of the things I think about when voting is how much do I would I not expect to be able to see this person otherwise? Yes, I don't think John was entirely serious that I should run for a fan fund, but I would not consider running for a fan fund unless I was living in one of the places in the fan fund. Anyone would like to start a fan fund to just send people to come and visit me? That's fine, and I will take them out and show them around. <laughs> but I think that's called a holiday fund, probably. When I was still enthusiastic and young, me and Claire talked about doing a fan fund called OOF, which would be the out-of-the-ordinary fan fund for conventions which were not in traditionally served countries. I don't know if you remember when Chris O'Shea went to Japan, he won Jets, which was a one-off fan fund. But I thought it'd be funny to have a fan fund called OOF. Was he going to do a trip report? No, of course not. So we've talked about Alison's guff trip. Was there anything else either of the rest of you wanted to say about it, apart from come to Thailand and I'll show you around? Well, I think we should, when you're visiting Liz on your stopover in Asia on your way back 
I could stop over everywhere in Asia on my way back from Australia all in the same day, couldn't I? Yeah, but we should do a live recording of your oh, stopover yes. at Liz's house and we should let people ask questions <laughs> about your trip. Well, that would be fantastic. And I'll be in Thai time, so when would suit you, Liz? Well, now it's fine, is the thing. Oh, okay. What, what time is it there? Like tea time? 7.30. Yeah, okay. So so that's what we'll do? Well, yeah, we could... All right, we'll do a virtual guff. I'm not sure what... It won't be Sunday, though. That's my problem. It's going to be midweek, so... That's fine. We will We will cope. I'll get you to the diary, because um, I think a live Octothorpe from Thailand. Shall we discuss staying sane in the apocalypse for a few minutes before we clock off? We're expecting some slight lockdown reductions today, but I don't think they're going to be very specific. I think most things are going to be... You'll be allowed to go out to exercise more than once a day if you're a very enthusiastic gym bunny. But otherwise, it is much of the same. We hoped we would have a podcasting studio in our back room, and that's not worked quite as well. And in fact, we found that we're struggling to get internet across our whole house, and it seems to be because our internet provider is struggling to put as much internet as it is contractually obligated to into the street as everybody in the world uses all of their internet all the time. And this has been getting steadily worse over the period as people have managed to train their elderly relatives in using video conferencing. And all those years that they said, oh, people don't need as much upload as they have download, that turned out to be wrong, didn't it, boys and girls? So, but otherwise, I'm much less insane because I was quite insane last time and I've, I've cheered up quite a bit since then. That's good. England is currently having kind of the world's worst outbreak, which is strange and not necessarily what we expected. So that's quite bad. That might improve. I I am playing a play-by-post game of the Arkham Horror board game where a man who lives not far from me has set up a board in the room with his piano in it and he records youtube videos every night of what happened and then the next day we tell him what we want our characters to do and he does it and then he uh, we send him photographs of the dice that we have rolled and then he does another youtube video explaining what happened and we continue on like that which is an incredibly surreal thing that i never would have thought to do before i wasn't allowed out of my house but it is strangely soothing it is very nice and relaxing and a wonderful way to play board games so i recommend making friends with someone who has a board game permanently set up in their house and sends you youtube videos of how it's going this may not be as broadly applicable as previous episodes have been alternatively i can highly recommend playing board games with people on tabletop simulator as john and i have been playing board games on tabletop simulator and it is extremely funny because john has played all the scenarios before and so when we have to make a very important decision like should we read the Nepinomicon and keep its forbidden knowledge, or should we destroy it? I can see John on the video sitting there, trying very hard not to influence us to do the sensible thing. You should destroy it and never... I mean, I think I haven't played this game, but I'm 99% certain that's the correct answer. The correct answer was destroy the Necronomicon. And we did destroy the Necronomicon. The problem is that there are arguments for and against Liz, and I know what those <laughs> arguments are. I know I know what happens if you pick either one. I cannot confirm nor deny that you picked the right option. <laughs> Which is good for if you want to play it again. All right. We are pretty sure that destroying an Economicon was the correct thing to do. 
But I am also like allowed to leave the house and things because we're in phase one of lifting restrictions. So, I mean, we never had, I think, quite such a strict lockdown as the UK did. Um, but we are sort of back to you can work 50-50 in the office. So try and keep the office 50% empty. Restaurants are reopening with quite a lot of restrictions on seating distances and things like that. A handful of other things have reopened, like parks and golf courses. And if all goes well, at the end of next week, we might go on to the next phase. So I may not need these coping measures for all that long. Although I'm still working from home pretty much full time. I've observed that we started off buying a little bit of cheese, the amount of cheese we would normally <laughs> buy. And gradually, as the lockdown has extended, we've started to buy more and more cheese. So each week, a greater proportion of the food we eat is cheese and a greater proportion of the meals that we eat are formed of going, oh, nobody really fancies cooking. I'll just eat some cheese. I have been doing some jigsaws. We still have we have kind of a jigsaw transfer network round the COVID mutual aid group now. <laughs> um, so all the jigsaws are getting passed around, which is good because the street value of jigsaws has trebled in the last two months. If you have any mechanism for selling jigsaws, I would recommend that. I am. I have also noticed as well as my cheese intake going up, my beer intake is going up gradually. That as I've worked out more and better ways to socialise online. Um, I find I'm doing it more and therefore I'm, it's more effective and therefore I drink more beer. My daughter said sadly yesterday, but there's so much theatre. We never normally go to the theatre every week. And, and yet there are all these theatre things and they come on every week and they only last for a few days. And so, yes, lots of theatre, lots of highbrow entertainment is being provided for our enjoyment. My part of my staying sane in the apocalypse is that I have bought a new microphone and the microphone has not appeared. I have not been charged for the microphone. I don't know when I will be charged for the microphone. I don't know how to cancel the microphone. It's all very stressful because I found out that Argos sells this microphone and buying directly from the manufacturer might have been worse than buying from Argos, which seems backwards to me. One of the things that people don't always know is that if Argus has the thing in stock and will get it to you, they are often the very best option for getting your thing, especially if it's kind of a small electrical thing, because they they just kind of bring it right round. And you can also, they also do click and collect from Sainsbury's. So I would click and collect from Sainsbury's, I think. I assume that still works at the moment. Yeah, it does. There has been some discussion about whether it should work. So there's massive tension at the moment between the people who don't want the economy to collapse and the people who don't want everyone to die of the plague, which is, you know, fair. But the people who don't want the economy to collapse are like, Argus has all these sites in supermarkets, which means it got a huge benefit over every other retail stop because it had to shut its main retail sites, but it could continue to operate its entire business through these click and collect sites. Instead. And then the people who wanted the economy to survive went, well, actually, that's OK. We do not want the economy to collapse. So letting people, making it possible for people to buy manufactured goods is no bad. Yeah, I think I'm not going mad, but I am ordering a lot online. When you do get your microphone from Sainsbury's, you will also have to buy your groceries. Oh, yes. Sorry, I should, I should clarify. We have the largest Sainsbury's in my city is a five minute walk up the road. And so I do my 
grocery shopping there. Used to do it all the way back from work whenever we needed bits. Now do it every two weeks in giganto shops, which I am still not really used to. And the sticker shock of spending two weeks worth of groceries in one go is still a little bit like, what? Is that really how much spending? Yes, it is, especially if you've got cats. You should try having four adults in the house. I don't think I should try that, Alison. I think I think two adults and two cats. And a very big hang of cheese. <laughs> on, on the subject of that, we've been drinking much more beer. Like we, we, we are ordering six pints a week from the pub across the road. Before lockdown, we never used to drink that much beer in the pub across the road. But now we do. One of the ways I'm staying sane in the, the apocalypse is to play board games with members of my own household. I have been doing that as well, but... Because I grew some, so that is the upside (laughs) of having children and then waiting 20 years, is that you can then play board games with them in lockdown. I actually logged my 800th board game yesterday, or my 800th 800th play yesterday, uh, which was a game of Arkham Horror, the card game, with my lovely wife. We got our asses handed to us in the carnival in Venice. That was very embarrassing. Turns out that I did not have the ability to kill enough cultists, and that was a problem. But yes, I've also been playing a lot of games with the Spaniard, and also watching a lot of movies with the Spaniard. And also Animal Crossing, and I posted a very adorable picture to Facebook of a kitchen. We'd start, we basically designed an entire Animal Crossing kitchen, and then we'd filled it up with turnips, because one of the features of Animal Crossing is that you end up with a lot of turnips in your home. And, and said, oh, I'm having trouble with my veg box, does anyone have any ideas on what you could do with turnips? And one person accurately identified that the answer was sell them for a fat profit on Wednesday afternoons. And everybody else um, gave me ideas for using turnips, despite the fact that they were obviously cartoon turnips on the floor of a cartoon kitchen. Um, Marianne, my daughter is in her final term at Oxford and had a large um, not-quite thesis to hand in. And this has obviously been a source of stress in her household. And it was due at noon on Thursday. And at 11.52 on Thursday, she uploaded it and got the confirmation thing to say it was great. And we were like, oh, that's lovely, darling. Well done. You can relax now. And she was like, no, we only have eight minutes to sell our turnips because there is a stock market in Animal Crossing where you sell turnips at a high price. If you don't sell them within a week, they rot and you have a pile of rotten turnips. So you use turnip price predictor apps on the internet to tell you how much your turnips will sell for. And so the eight minutes after her getting her essay in for the deadline, while we were trying to get roomfuls of turnips sold before the bell rang at noon was much more stressful than any part of the preceding two hours of exactly what format does this need to be in and how do the citations need to be? But the essay has gone in and I made half a million bells selling turnips. Yay! Excellent. So that's probably more than you want to know about Animal Crossing. The world's an odd place. It's not just me. The Financial Times had a long article about Animal Crossing and the bank of Animal Crossing and the steps that have been taken to avoid cheats in Animal Crossing and the virtual turnip market that I've just described to you. And and it was played not for laughs at all, really. It basically said this is... A, it said it was... I mean, it was obviously a funny article, but it wasn't April Fool's because I checked repeatedly. They just thought that it would be funny to have an article about turnip trading at Animal Crossing in the middle of the FT because people need that sort of thing these days. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the fifth episode of the Octothorpe podcast. We will see you in a fortnight's time. But for now, it's goodbye from me. 
And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The music used in this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under a Creative Commons BY 3.0 license. Yeah, that's a wrap. Now, of course, there is the after show thing. So I have spent um, lots on Arkham Horror. I'd be surprised. It must be about 700 or 800 pounds. Isn't isn't that quite a lot of money? Eh, That's all right. That's why I can't go to New Zealand, Alison, because I've spent it all on board games. No, 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 no. no. Isn't isn't that quite a lot of money for a board game? Because I was kind of like thinking about whether we wanted to buy Gloomhaven and it seemed like quite a lot of money for a board game. Gloomhaven is quite a lot of money. So my answer is it depends what you think a lot of money is. And I don't know whether that makes sense. How do you manage to spend... So Gloomhaven may or may not be value for money. So Gloomhaven is almost certainly value... The the differentiation is between expense and value. So Gloomhaven's 120 quid, which is quite a lot of money. Uh, If you buy Gloomhaven, you will almost certainly play it for at least 120 hours, which means it's probably cheaper per hour of entertainment than a book or a movie or a video game. Okay, so will we is the question. Will my family actually get out together to play it? That is very much a question for you and your playgroup. So we have some other cooperative games and we were going to go, well, we're going to play some of those and see if we play them enough to make Gloomhaven worthwhile. But if Gloomhaven is just majestically better than those. I have controversial opinions about Gloomhaven. I think it is okay. I don't understand why it's the top of the Game Geek rankings. It just makes no sense at all to me. It is a competently done dungeon crawler with a relatively minimal layer of narrative on top. Uh, if that is your bag, you'll probably really like it. Uh, if that is not your bag, you might not. It is available on Tabletop Simulator in a version which is uh, sanctioned by the designer. So if you want to know whether it is your cup of tea, you could play through the TTS mod. The only thing I will say is that I personally feel like when you're playing a TTS mod, you have to bear in mind that it is probably more clunky than playing the actual game because, well, just playing board games on virtual interfaces tends to be a little bit less tactile, less good. Um, But as long as you bear that in mind, it's a good way of trying it out. Um, In terms of Arkham Horror, so buying the base set is 30 quid. The way that it works is that you can buy expansions which are big-ish boxes which cost about 25 quid and then you can buy um, smaller packs of cards which are called mythos packs which run you about 12 quid and if you buy one of these big boxes and the six associated small boxes that is a single story told over eight um, scenarios of a campaign so to do that runs you somewhere in the region of 100 pounds to buy like one eight scenario campaign what i will say is that that is 100 pounds but so far I have, with the one that I spent £100 on, which is the first one they did was the Dunwich Legacy. I played that once through with my wife and my friend Michael. I'm playing it once through with uh, Liz and Hog and Ian. And I'm playing it once through with my friend Ian. So by the time I have gotten my like play out of that for the foreseeable future, I would play through it three times. And if you say each game is somewhere in the region of 90 minutes to two and a half hours, that means that I've spent about... 60 hours 50 to 60 hours playing it which works out to about two pounds an hour and that doesn't include the fun my friends have had with it so that's back to this general question about with any investment purchase will you actually play it so that's the problem we have with the family because although i say well we play board games with the family we don't 
actually do that that much. We do play a lot of video games together, but we don't play an enormous number of board games, although we all like board games and agree we should do it more. I think if you're trying to get into playing board games, I would set yourself like a... um, There's a thing called a 10 by 10 challenge, which is when you play 10 board games 10 times over the course of a year. Um, And if you've got 10 board games in your collection already that you like, I I would set yourself one of those and try and get the habit before splashing a huge amount of cash on something that's heavily um, scenario-based. The other thing I would say is if you're looking for a game to play cooperatively over a series of sessions, it's my impression that Pandemic Legacy is a bit more accessible than Gloomhaven. It's certainly half the price. Um, The only problem is you only get to play it 12 to 24 times. Yeah, I'm not playing any game on a Pandemic theme this year. That's fair. Um, (laughs) Is that that not reasonable? I mean, no, I think that's absolutely reasonable. Um, the thing I would say about Arkham is you can buy the base set for 30 quid, and if you hate it, you can sell it for 20 quid, and then you're 10 quid in the hole, uh, and that's not that bad. If you buy Gloomhaven and you don't like it, it's potentially a lot more money that you've thrown down a, a, a drain. Yeah, though, though you, can buy a re- reuse- you can buy a reusable sticker pack, so one of the options for Gloomhaven is to buy it and its reusable sticker pack, so you do not, in fact, mark up your game permanently. Um, though I'm not sure how practical that is. Anyway... I'm on hold with the help centre. This is very annoying. And I have no Mexican food. (laughs) Boo! Who named three condos in the same area with very similar names? Thailand. Is that helpful? that what you needed john yeah i can edit that something <laughs> coherent um something hopefully anyway 